Engel. In football or soccer, there are rules for a ball out of play. That's exactly where we're taking you in this podcast series, Out of Play. Beyond the rules, beyond the pitch, beyond the game. Because every four years during the World Cup, it's more than a simple story of goals scored and athletic displays. Sometimes the really interesting part starts after the final whistle. We've crossed the world to talk with journalists and passionate fans to bring you some of these stories that all have one thing in common, the World Cup. In the stories you'll hear, some of you weren't even born yet. For others, you might remember it like it was yesterday. This series, Out of Play, takes you inside eight of these tales, thanks to the people who actually lived them. You may wonder, why choose an American to help tell you these stories? Well, it's obvious. We're neutral. We're never in the World Cup. When you think about football in Brazil, there's a lot to consider. Well, first, there's Brazil's glorious history in the game of football. The country has produced a legion of legendary players. And of course, there are the five World Cup trophies Brazil has taken home. That's more than any other country in the world. But we also have to consider the less savory aspects, such as the connections between Brazil's complicated politics and the country's favorite pastime. Let's take a look at Brazilian football through the eyes of one local family spread across the economically strong southeast and the poorer northeast. This family is only an atom-sized slice of Brazil's 200 million people. Yet, they have always been connected by futebol, the national sport, and the games of the Seleção bring together the extended family and neighbors as well, because the door is always open in true Brazilian fashion. Our story starts in the simple home of Ana Julia dos Santos Oliveira in the neighborhood of Casa Verde Alta. Ana lives on the outskirts of the sprawling Sao Paulo, the finance and industrial capital of this football-mad country. Ana's love for football began watching her father play semi-professionally around Brazil's rice plantations. Ana's niece Valeria recalls her aunt's simple, concrete house as a community hub with visitors at all hours, especially during Brazil games. The gate and the front door were always open to guests. Visitors sat on the veranda and in the small space in front of the house to listen to the games on the radio. Another 15 people watched the match on the small TV in the tiny living room. Before games, everyone put on their jerseys with bandanas matching our flag colors. The moms made five enormous buckets of popcorn while the kids drank soda and juice, and the men all had cups of beer in hand. The members of our Brazilian family all still love football. For the 2018 World Cup, their optimism is mixed for the Seleção, the nickname for Brazil's national team. There's a saying in Brazil that there are three things you do not discuss. Football, politics, and religion. But hey, we went there anyway. Any Brazilian can name the first World Cup team that turned them into a lifelong football fan. Valeria Rocha was born in 1977 in southeast Brazil. She remembers her father sharing his interest in football with her. 
I'm from Sao Paulo, but when I was young, I went to live in Salvador, Bahia. My dad is Santista, a Santos supporter. He was born in 1953 and saw Pelé play in person. But he was never really a football fanatic. He was a fan of Formula One racing. But I remember the World Cup in 1982 because my dad tied a green and yellow ribbon on my head and every goal he grabbed me and carried me to the window shouting, Goal! I always liked football, but after Brazil's victory in 1994, I came to love football. I remember really well that day, July 17th. The final on penalties brought even more importance to the title. I was very emotional, crying and smiling. We went out to the street to celebrate. To tell the truth, it was an unexpected and marvelous joy. Surely, this was the best World Cup of my life. I was in love with football. Everybody talked about it at school when they came back from vacation. Winning this title a fourth time was a great joy and ego boost for Brazilians. For a long time now, Brazilian football fans in working-class neighborhoods have painted walls and streets to prepare for the cup. Valeria has vivid childhood memories of this fan art, but today, that tradition seems to be fading. Cars drive faster through the neighborhood now, and it's not so safe anymore for kids to play in the streets like they used to. And these days, the technology is everywhere, even in lower-class neighborhoods. All the kids have cell phones, tablets, and video games, and the price of paint has gone way up. The people used to close the local streets to paint, and then let the stuff dry until the next day, but who can do that nowadays? I grew up painting the streets and sidewalks green, yellow, blue, and white. In Brazil, the tradition was to paint the walls and streets with canaries, the symbol of the Brazilian team. We also painted footballs with their black and white patchwork. Even today, I find the design of the ball unforgettable and more beautiful. Football isn't just for fun in Brazil, though. Fans take the game very seriously. They have their own unique rituals, and in some places, their enthusiasm for the Seleção borders on religious fanaticism. Ana, Valeria's aunt, was born into one such football-crazy family. Her father, João Beck, a nickname given because of his penchant for playing in the back, played semi-professionally in the Sao Paulo interior, around the small city of Parapua and its rice farms. Ana has her own preparation ritual for big Brazil games. I put the images of Our Lady of Aparecida next to the television. It's my lucky charm for all the Corinthians and the Brazilian games. I set up a cup of water and images of Our Lady for blessing and luck during the game. And do the images and saints work without fault every time? Thinking back on that day when Brazil was defeated by Germany 7-1 in the 2014 World Cup semifinal, I, I believe the women of Germany must have set out many German patrons because their saints were very strong. Or maybe the Brazilians thought we were favored and didn't ask for help from our saints. Unfortunately, it was an ugly loss. Whether Brazil wins, loses, or ties, there's still going to be a party. This is especially true in the Northeast, where the World Cup coincides with the traditional Festa Junina, or June Fest. Valeria's sister, Vanya, moved to Salvador, Bahia as a teen, and still lives there with her husband, Anderson, their son, Kaua, and their daughter, Cecilia. Hearing Vania talk about watching Brazil play at the World Cup might make your mouth water. In Bahia, we make a special lunch. We put the TV in the garage or on the veranda. 
We prepare shrimp as an appetizer, a stew of meat, rice, and beans, and wash it all down with cold beer. Here in Brazil, games are parties themselves. Before starting, we turn up the music while we make all the food. Here in the Northeast, the June Fest is very traditional, with enormous parties at homes and other venues. Since the World Cup begins in June, we always combine the two. Sometimes after the games, the June Fest begins. In other words, day and night, we party without stopping. Even if Brazil loses or ties, the party keeps going. But at World Cup 14, hosted by Brazil, it would be a mistake to say the 7-1 defeat by Germany in the semifinal still led to more parties. The anguish and introspection of Brazilians that followed takes us to some darker places inside the country's politics and the nation's psyche. Vania's husband, Anderson, tells us about the atmosphere at his house when Brazil lost. For the Brazil-Germany game in 2014, I was at home in the garage having a beer with friends and watching the game. Well, for Brazilian football, this 7-1 loss, in my opinion, brought us down to earth. We thought we were the best in the world and that we were invincible. But it proved us wrong, and it showed that our system is not that great. We saw our players didn't have adequate training and that they had very big emotional problems. And what changed in the country's economy? Nothing. It's still the same thing. And I don't see any difference in politics. Fernando came, Fernando left, Lula came, and the people are the ones who pay. Because of poor education, we end up voting for them again, the same thing again and again. There's no difference between Fernando Collor, Fernando Henrique, Lula or Dilma. All of them came into power. They only wanted one thing, to be even more powerful. In Brazilian politics, only the names change. The mentality of power stays the same. The mentality is old and corrupt, and that continues to hurt the people. Did Brazil somehow deserve to lose the match against Germany so dramatically as a kind of payback? Not just for the players and the coaches' lack of strategy against a superior opponent, but also for the dirty deeds of Brazil's politicians? Valeria's father, Washington, also living in the Northeast, thinks it's the latter. I was in my apartment in Junjai watching the match. I thought, if you suffer a 7-1 loss, it's because you deserve it. Simple as that. Why? It could be lack of ability, it could have been bribery, like the money funneled to the organizers. Referees have previously been accused of interfering with the results of state championships. In an international championship, it could have been a bought game. Brazil's economy has gotten a lot worse, but not only because of football, also because of the big robbery by politicians. And what exactly was this hijacking that Washington referred to? He says the majority of Brazilian politicians in power for many years accept bribes and divert money to their own pockets. And what exactly was this hijacking that Washington referred to? He says the majority of Brazilian politicians in power for many years accept bribes and divert public money to their own pockets. Soon after the cup, these irregularities were revealed by the Brazilian media to be even bigger than ever imagined. Specifically, the construction companies that benefited from building super-inflated white elephant stadiums in the nation's capital, Brasilia, and far-flung locales like Manaus and Cuiaba. Did Brazil put the Seleção on a pedestal too high in Brazil? Or was this crushing defeat by Germany also because the team was missing a key player? Neymar had been injured in the previous game against Colombia. 
Vanya believes one clear reason was because the Keystone Warrior Neymar wasn't on the pitch. I'm not much for football or very nationalistic, but I watched the game and was happy Brazil lost. It knocks the players down a peg and makes the sportcasters realize they're giving Team Brazil so much credit without at least watching the opponents to compare fairly. Neymar was out, like Ronaldo who had problems in the final of the 1998 Cup with that horrible defeat in France. It put down the Brazilians' ball. In other words, it made our players more humble. I always thought it was strange that our best players get hurt only at important matches. Of course, this leads to the common debate among Brazilians about whether hosting the 2014 World Cup was ever a good idea in the first place, and if it would truly lead to lasting benefits for the country. Or was it all just a foolish, self-centered scheme cooked up by then-President Lula, who is now in prison for corruption? Valeria was working for one of Brazil's largest newspapers at the time and covered these issues. After covering the constant protests against the World Cup in Brazil for one of the country's biggest newspapers, I really believed that we would make the stadiums beautiful and reach the final. When the championship began, I hoped we would see the great games with the national team masterfully handling the ball. Unfortunately, I couldn't attend a single home game because it was extremely difficult to buy tickets as a local. But I had the opportunity to watch other teams play with great passion, like the game between the USA and Belgium, with the American team fighting until the last minute. On the day of Brazil's fateful 7-1 defeat by Germany, I had returned from Salvador in Bahia. I was very tired and hoped to watch a really good match. But in the first 15 minutes of the game, we were losing badly. I was in total disbelief. It was a nightmare. Very surreal. Already in the first half, the game was 5-0. I thought, is this really happening? I couldn't believe it. This was how protesters that didn't want the World Cup here to begin with gained steam. I remember the speeches of the protesters that while the government invested in billions in the stadiums, our students were in school without food. And honestly, we have infrastructure problems that run deep. Corrupt politicians allow exorbitant construction projects all over Brazil. The promised extension of the Sao Paulo City metro system for 2014 was not ready in time, but the stadiums were all finished before the World Cup. Brazil wasn't always crazy for football. When the sport arrived in Brazil in 1894, brought by the Englishman Charles Miller, only the elite and sophisticated clubs played. It was only after African-Brazilian players entered the fray that football became widely popular among the masses. After Brazil's first two conquests in 1958 and 1962, the government started using the sport to placate the Brazilian people, living under dictatorship then. The team won the 1970 World Cup under the eyes of military dictatorship, and Brazil celebrated and idolized their young hero, Pelé the youngest player ever to score in the cup at 17 years and 239 days. In the end, almost everyone in this Brazilian family thinks the country's politicians have used football as a convenient diversion known as bread and circuses, literally from the Latin bread and games. The idea dates back to ancient Rome, when the government provided the most basic needs of the common people to cover up the inadequacies of rulers. 
Valeria's younger sister, Venia, is a sociologist and anthropologist who teaches classes for educators and professors in the less privileged northeastern state of Bahia. She has worked with underprivileged communities in the Bayan capital of Salvador. It's absurd that our ex-president is in jail. While the president of the CBF can't leave the country because he's under investigation, he should be in prison too. Our economy suffers and the people do as well. Our political structure is still bread and circus. There's definitely a connection between politics, football, and the economy. Football is a distraction and a way to manipulate the people. It's like a drug. Sports are used as a way to give hopes of social ascension for Afro-Brazilians and leaves education by the wayside. How many boys dream of being a new Neymar but don't study to graduate or enter university? While the players make millions, the population doesn't have schools, good hospitals, culture, and in the end, they don't even have food. Her husband, Anderson, was born in Salvador to a lower-middle-class family. He studied radiology and worked in various hospitals in the Northeast, but until recently has been one of Brazil's many long-term unemployed. Anderson says even if football is a distraction, it's a necessary one. Football in Brazil helps people forget their day-to-day suffering. At least during the games, we forget about what we don't have. Football is like opium for Brazilians. It momentarily dulls our pain. People will continue to support football, but with a little less arrogance, without the certainty that we are the best. We are a little more insecure. You would think Brazilian fans would just stop going to the stadiums, given their cynicism. Washington, Valeria and Venia's father, is maybe one of the biggest cynics. He worked in IT for years at IBM and Petrobras, the government's petroleum powerhouse. Washington rose from very humble beginnings in Sao Paulo, the second son of Portuguese immigrants and now has a modest retirement due to his service to the Brazilian government. Seeing the incomparable Pele play as a young man made him a lifelong Santos and Brazil fan. The fans keep going to the stadiums and continue supporting because they want bread and circus, like in the Middle Ages. This is an ancient truth. The fans prefer to go to work on foot to save money to go to the games on weekends. This is very common here in Salvador, Bahia. So... After all the pain and suffering in 2014, how does this Brazilian family view the Samba boys' chances at World Cup Russia 2018? Clearly with mixed feelings. Venia, in particular, hopes the national team will check its pride. I hope that this 2018 team has learned its lesson and steps onto the field off their high horse. They need to be a team without depending on Neymar to carry them. Even if he does play, the team must play with passion to win. Anderson is even more fatalistic than before, but hopeful Brazil won't lose as badly as it did to Germany. Look, for 2018, I don't expect anything different from 2014. Certainly we won't lose 7-1 to again because our arrogance has already been diminished. I don't believe we'll be champions, and if we are, nothing would change in my life. With the team's qualification, a slim victory over Germany in a recent friendly match and beating both Croatia and Austria in World Cup warm-ups, Washington believes coach Tite has kept things under control pretty well. But the heat is about to get turned up. The Brazilian team only changed with their coach, Tite. The rest continues to be the same. For the World Cup in 2018, we could improve a little if we change the players. We need to put in new players who aren't so famous. 
I believe Tite is under a lot of pressure, and the stars are controlling him too much. Of all the fans in the family, perhaps Valeria has watched the closest, attending five Brazil games in person in South Africa 10. Since I was a child, I remember my grandfather playing football. I believed that we would one day be five-time champions, which we achieved in 2002. When I went to the World Cup in South Africa in 2010, I sincerely thought that we would be champions again. But it was a huge disappointment to lose to Holland. I was sad. I cried, but I had the hope we would win the World Cup in our country. So I had real hope then we would be six-time champions in 2014. Even so, I like football and will always cheer for our national team and hope for great games for our young players. But the 7-1 defeat will always be in my memory. In the 2018 Cup, I expect good games, but I don't expect the title. I also don't expect to suffer seven goals against us in one match again. Tite is a great coach. I'm confident in him because he lifted Corinthians, my club team. I like the dynamic that Tite has built and the friendliness of the players. But I don't expect we will be six-time champions this year. Finally, let's check back in with the family's oldest member, Aunt Anna. Remember that watching football in hothouses like Brazil is intense and may even be hazardous to your health. That fateful day I was at home. My neighbors and children were watching the match with me. I don't usually watch the games, but on that day I did. I don't remember the details. I only remember all the German goals in less than 30 minutes. In my mind, it seemed like a nightmare, and I remember that I was so upset. I can't really describe it. I can only remember the sadness and disappointment that I felt trying to understand what was happening. The best thing was that the game wasn't decided on penalties. After 1994, I became so nervous that I was afraid I might have a heart attack. My heart sped up and my hands and feet went totally cold. My children asked me to stay away from the TV so I wouldn't get sick. But my sisters are also like that. They prefer not to watch the whole game because they get too anxious. Some teams playing against ours make me more nervous than others. The worst is when they play against Argentina. After that, Italy. And then the more popular Latin American teams. Since 2014, I panic at the thought of Brazil playing Germany again. I hope not, please. So, Anna, what can we expect of our Sulasau in Russia this June and July? What do you think? This World Cup, I'm not going to cheer as much, but I'll still put my small saying next to the TV because I believe in the power of prayer and the force of Our Lady of Aparecida. I hope our patron saint will be stronger, but I don't have much hope that we'll win in Russia. Out of Play is produced by Angle, and this episode was written by Will Bibe. Sound production by The in Paris, France. Original score by Roman Pilo and Max Zippel. English version narrated by David Gassman. Find more episodes of Out of Play anywhere you find podcasts, and on outofplaypodcast.com.